You're listening to the Empathy Everywhere podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Ferguson, the founder of East 29th, where we're establishing a conscious dialogue that connects both the physical and mental health awareness behind the clean beauty movement, while combining skincare with self-care to build a movement that embodies being softer inside out. This is episode 12, Listen to Hear, Not to Respond, with Dorsey McFadden. Dorsey spent nearly two decades in digital marketing before becoming a mental health advocate and artist. In the wake of a COVID-19 layoff, she launched FlexYourADHD.com, a website and Slack community dedicated to spreading awareness and promoting affirmation to adult ADHD and to be a day-to-day resource and community to support people with ADHD in living fulfilled lives. She lost her ADHD brother in 2019 from an addiction-related death and additionally seeks to spread awareness around the increased risk of addiction for those with ADHD. (laughs) So welcome. Sorry, that was a little bit of a a lot of words. Fun twister. (laughs) (laughs) So like what, let's start, like what is ADHD? So ADHD is actually a neurodevelopmental disorder. Our brains are actually different than most people. They develop a little bit slower in the prefrontal cortex of the brain and have impairments in executive functioning areas because that prefrontal cortex is affected. The characteristics that most often mark ADHD are going to be distractibility, impulsivity, disorganization, poor time management, emotional sensitivity. Some of the lesser known symptoms that people really don't know about are sensitivity to, you know, stimuli from outside or so many things. <laughs> Sorry, I just got like, and no that worries. is ADHD where you go off. I looked out a window and then I was gone. <laughs> I find that like, I don't feel like I hear about ADHD a lot, but, Mm -hmm. and I was talking to my son this morning, I don't feel like I genuinely have heard following when someone talks about it, like what it truly means to have it. I find that it Mm -hmm. is... It's something that's just thrown into, you know, a statement or a conversation, especially with my son being now in grade eight. It's something that comes up, but I don't think I've ever had it explained to me in a sense where I've actually fully understood, which is why I think this is an interesting topic because I feel like it's discussed, but it's overlooked. Like we just kind of, we Mm -hmm. touch base on it and then we move on. And I don't feel like that gives it the light that it deserves because it's clearly something, you know, that is, I don't want to say big, but it's something that, you know, a lot of people seem to have. Yeah. So like, how do we build empathy? towards those who have it from someone who hears about it, but doesn't really fully know what it is. And how do we get educated on that? Well, I think it goes along to the whole mental health attitude towards mental health and just being curious and kind really around that because ADHD doesn't necessarily mean you are disabled, but it is a disability. And because for some people, it is very much a disability, but for others, it might not be because maybe they've been able to craft their life in such a way, like Richard Branson, that it's obviously not a disability for him. But then there are others who it very much is a disability. So when you're a child being diagnosed as ADHD, it's definitely very different than being an adult. And when I was diagnosed when I was very young in the 80s, you know, all they knew was it's attention related. There wasn't any research or anything else on what adults went through. In fact, at the time, a lot of people thought adults didn't have ADHD, that people outgrew it. But that right. isn't the case because it's a different brain. So you can't change that. You don't grow brain. a new brain. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
I find that's really fascinating because like you said, like there was, you know, a lot of people have overlooked or there's like you have it and you grow out of it and it's fine. There was no long-term, I guess, studies or way to grow with it. And that's something that as you grow, you need to grow with whatever you've been diagnosed with, whether, you know, on a good day or a bad way and learn to at every stage of your life adapt to it. Whatever you've done, maybe in your childhood might've worked, but who's to say that'll work in your teen years or in your early adult years, or even when you're getting older. Absolutely. And, you know, there is research being done into and a lot of professional consensus around dopamine in the brain and that it's actually more of a dopamine uptake issue. So people with ADHD have less dopamine and really need to work in areas of their interest so that they are getting regular shots of dopamine. Otherwise, you know, your energy levels are sort of like a a graph that goes up and down, waves, 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 and your tension is all over the place. Right. Anything that kind of gives you that little jolt of excitement is where you're going to be paying attention to. I was also going to say, unfortunately, the brain is also kind of evil. (laughs) (laughs) because there are other ways for it to produce dopamine, including rumination, which is another um, key characteristic of ADHD, where you go down a negative thought spiral and your brain produces all of that lovely dopamine that it really, really wants and doesn't get enough because it's starved of dopamine all the time. It can give you anxiety, depression, because you can think that those thoughts are real. I mean, you can think that Sally over there that you see, she's giving you a look, And you know, you know, inside that look means she doesn't like you. She's thinking something mean. But in reality, in truth, you don't know. That's called mind reading. And that's actually a cognitive trap. And so would they, you almost thrive in that moment because you're getting that shot of dopamine that your brain is deprived from? Yeah. Well, what it's doing is it's training your brain that, oh, if I ruminate, if I think these thoughts, if I get worried about this thing that isn't real, then my brain gets dopamine. So it's sort of rewarding, right? Your brain is being rewarded for thinking these extreme thoughts. So you can imagine over time, that can be pretty damaging to a person's psyche. Well, that would also be very habit forming, right? Especially when you're so young, and you aren't conscious enough to understand and articulate it as well as you did, you know, and I think that's where not where it you know, a lot of things fail, but I think we really fail to have the proper dialogue about what ADHD is, but also how to have and lead, you know, children and children's minds through ADHD, through an empathy and compassion point of view. I think we're really missing the mark Mm. when we're misdiagnosing. And I'm not saying people, everyone is misdiagnosed, but I think especially when there's like, you have a problem here, there's something for it. And then we move on. There's no checking in. There's no kind of room for that. I feel like to grow. And I remember growing up, there was a few kids who I was told that they had it and they were just told that they couldn't really participate in all the things that we did because they wouldn't understand it. And then they'd be put in a different room and that was it. And I'd always <laughs> remember wondering, like, oh. how is that, how is that going to help them not just today, but also yeah. tomorrow and then live a fulfilled life when they leave, you know, the school yeah. hallways. There is a lot of misinformation out there. ADHD does not affect an individual's intelligence in any way whatsoever. So it's not going to determine, you know, how smart you are, how capable you are at all. And I think that a lot of educators misunderstand that. And I often hear, you know, with doctors too, some doctors say, you know, you can't have ADHD, you're too smart. That's 
not at all the case. Oh it's just God. a different way of looking at stuff and thinking. So, right. And that's not very helpful. That's clearly coming from someone who just, you know, wants to move on from it. And I think the thing with ADHD is everyone's going to have individual needs, right? Like you yeah. can't say this worked for so-and-so, this will work for you. It's going to yeah. be individual for absolutely everyone. And it's more of like a customized treat- yeah. treatment plan or lifestyle or a way to adapt yeah. and grow. And especially if everyone's, you know, everyone has different interests right then and there, Mm -hmm. it's going to show you that everyone's journey is going to be different. Exactly. I mean, we all have also different ways of learning. It is very much unique to each person what's going to work for them because there's a saying that once you've seen one adult with ADHD, you've seen one adult with ADHD. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Yeah, it's the truth because everybody is so different in their symptoms and how those symptoms manifest psychologically. And speaking to misdiagnosis, you'd be shocked at the numbers for how often people are misdiagnosed, you know, before they get an ADHD diagnosis, they're maybe diagnosed bipolar, maybe they're diagnosed with depression, maybe they're diagnosed with a sleep disorder, because it presents in very different ways. I know someone who was actually misdiagnosed as having hypersomnia. And then another friend that was eventually diagnosed ADHD when stimulants helped her to sleep. So she was having insomnia issues. And what she needed was her brain to calm down so that she could go to sleep. I find we have the ability and like the title of this podcast, listen to hear not to respond. I feel like when we look at someone, we go, you have this and we move on. There's no mindfulness in that practice of medicine. Mm -hmm. So when we listen to hear, it's about the individual case, the individual person, the individual problems, even from an individual age, like you might not have the same issues today that you had when you were younger. And it's not about diagnosing you and moving on. It's about going with the flow and the growth of your diagnosis and learning to adapt, you know, as you change or as you evolve, or perhaps maybe it's harder during, you know, COVID-19. There's so many Mm -hmm. scenarios that can alter your everyday life that will change all these things. So not only is it individual per person, but it's individual per, you know, time in life or situation and scenario. And I think we just want to check off a box and move on. Absolutely. And it's a lot more adult ADHD being diagnosed after significant events in life, because someone might not really have struggle in school, they might, you know, they have high intelligence, and they can mask their symptoms, and they look like every other kid. So they don't ever get questioned as to whether they have ADHD, but then they go and maybe they have two kids and suddenly they have to organize and plan for more people for their kids for themselves. And then they start struggling. And that's when the ADHD gets caught. So a lot of women in particular are being diagnosed these days, older women with ADHD. Well, and it's, you know, it's a lot of shame, especially, I mean, it's 2021 now, but I can presume that with mental health being something that people didn't like to openly talk about. That's something that would have held back so many families of ever talking about it within their home or within themselves. And I'm assuming there's a lot of people who don't hear the proper dialogue about mental health growing up, maybe not exactly ADHD, but also ADHD, where they then shame themselves and that sends them into a less than ideal mental health state. And I'm sure that affects Mm -hmm. them as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one positive of COVID is that there is more mental health health awareness. And there is more of a push to be more understanding, which is so wonderful, because unless you know, you know, you have it, you don't have an arrow, you don't have a compass in which way to go. So you might be spinning constantly. But once you have a diagnosis, you have a direction. And that direction can bring you a lot of peace of mind, which is nice, (laughs) which is essential, really. (laughs) And medication, because 
really an ADHD person can take a stimulant and operate at the same level as anyone else be totally normal. It's one of the most easily medicated psychiatric conditions. Right. And I just feel like you need self-care when you have something like this, even just from the stigma, even from, you know, how exhausting it must be to have grown Mm -hmm. up with something that perhaps wasn't as spoken about or talked about or, and the shame that you've held in. And even that whole experience of people not understanding you, you kind of need to be able to come back to yourself, to be able to self-edit, to be able to understand your own perspective as it grows itself. Absolutely. And, you know, I just think back on my twenties and my teens, and I have a lot of sympathy and empathy for my younger self, because I was so confused. I was missing a key self-awareness that allowed me to kind of pause and reflect on myself to really be able to do that self-editing and self-guiding. So in my 30s, really focusing on self-care and finding the right doctor, I've just grown so much. It's just, it's amazing. When you focus on yourself, you really can grow. Well, and it must feel so good to be able to have the perspective of looking back at your, when you were younger and seeing kind of what you needed and being able to implement it for other people's lives and really making a difference, not just for their future, but from their current state. And I think it's so great that you've made the pivot from, you know, working in digital marketing to becoming a mental health advocate. And I'm super excited. I'd love to hear like, what was it? What was like the tipping point where you knew you had to make that change? I think that it's something that has been coming for a long time. I've always sort of had an itch that couldn't be scratched about something that I needed to do. I always felt uncomfortable in some way, you know, not completely myself in the roles that I've had before. So when my brother passed away two years ago from ADHD, well, from addiction, but you know, I think that it really was caused from ADHD, that really galvanized me into wanting to help others. And so that's sort of what planted the seed for me, because my brother got addicted to drugs when he was very young. And I'm from a white middle class family, it can happen to anyone. Mm -hmm. And he got the biggest dopamine hit of his life at a very young age, that little brain, of course, it was going to be addicted. Right. And that did a lot of damage. And a lot of people fall into that trap, unfortunately. Well, and I think a lot of the time when we're given drugs from, you know, a doctor, and we're supposed to trust a doctor and and someone is saying to you, this is what you have, this is what you need to take. It's almost like it's now common practice for you to take a drug, regardless of if it's recreational or if it's for, you know, from a doctor. So that little mind and then getting that hit, of course, you're going to want it. Oh, absolutely. And to be completely fair, for me, getting on the right medication combination at age 34 was a revelation. I had been on Adderall for maybe 15 years, but I had never realized that it was affecting other parts of me. I never realized that it was causing me anxiety, the ADHD. And that I was getting very depressed because I was ignoring who I really was and what I really needed. Right. So it was making it worse. And the medication really did help. I um, took Zoloft actually 
for a short time and it really helped get me out of that depression and now I don't have to take it anymore. So there is definitely value in medicine if you go to the right doctor and partner with that doctor to find the right solution, you know? There's a book called Attending and it's about being mindful in medicine and it's about when someone comes into your room and say they have cancer and then the next person comes in, they've got a sore toe. It's about looking at that person who came in with the sore toe and really focusing on them. It's not just like, oh, you probably stubbed it. It's like, well, what could really be the underlying factor that's causing this toe ache instead of being like, well, you only have a sore toe in the person before you had cancer. And it's about being so Mm -hmm. mindful in your practice as a doctor to, because that could technically be a symptom to other things and a multitude of things and you can help them. So when you find a doctor who wants to do more than just have you in and out and who is actually going to be there with you and walk you through your journey and really get to understand what's going on and maybe hearing you that this isn't working or you're feeling depressed and trying something new. That's so important. I think it's so important to build a beautiful relationship with someone that you trust who you are trusting with your mental health. Yeah, it's definitely something that's taken me a long time to find the right providers. I didn't even know Mm -hmm. that I even had options when I was younger, but it is that's somebody who you need to be completely honest with and you need to have your medical history with you and make notes before your appointments, make notes after your appointments so that you can actually see what's going on with yourself over a long term and not just rely on the doctor because doctors are busy. They have a ton of patients. They, you know, have insurance to deal with. So it's kind of impossible for them to be experts at everything. And I mean, it goes along the same way with like, I don't understand why people go to general practitioners to get their ADHD medication. Why would you do that and not go to a brain doctor? Why would you not go to a psychologist? Because they study the brain, they know it so much better. And these days, though, there is a pretty sad um, statistic that like, over half of practicing psychologists aren't up to date on ADHD medication. And regular doctors only spend about 20 minutes in med school talking about ADHD, learning about ADHD. So it's not something that your GP should be responsible for. Although they do often prescribe medication, if you really want to do yourself justice, and be the best you that you can be and live a happy life. And you have to seek out those resources that align with what you need. Right. The the resources should definitely be more readily available. Why do you Mm -hmm. think it is that they only spend X amount of minutes actually learning about it? Like if it's something that anything that has to do with your brain, I think is something that is of the utmost importance because the rest of our body functions Mm -hmm. due to our brain, right? How do we, I mean, I know that there's nothing that we can technically do to change that. But when we talk about school curriculum and people in your lives who have some kind of value where if they mentioned to you, Hey, like maybe try this out or try that out. How do we get the dialogue so common that we know there are other resources out there? Or how do we get the resources available to others who have it so that they can make the right decisions? They can help themselves more if someone else isn't helping them at the time. We educate and there aren't a lot of people out there doing that right now. But one of the things that I've started is Flex Your ADHD. It's a website and a Slack community. And one of our projects is going to be making presentations that people can download and take to their doctors or to a school and show to the teachers just 
simple ADHD information. This is what it is. This is how to accommodate students. This is what they need. This is how they learn. And that in itself will do so much good. I think, you know, you have to be your own advocate when it comes to your mental health or your child's mental health. But my hope is that I can help assist people in getting their providers and their educators up to date on ADHD. Right. Which would be just amazing. Now, mm-hmm. like how can we, I always think about my son, he's in grade eight. So how can we have the dialogue if it's not happening in our school or the school curriculum, or if we notice someone that we think might have it, or we see that they have it and they're struggling with it. How can we, from an empathy point of view, help them out? Mm-hmm. Like what, what is something that they need to hear or can help them kind of function by yeah. us just showing up? You can ask them questions about what's it like for them, because every person is going to experience their own mental health issue in a different way, just being curious and kind to those people and asking what they need really is the key. I wish we all showed up for everyone every day for all topics, (laughs) but you know, I'm trying to really raise my son in a mindful matter where he's come home and someone has hurt his feelings. And I try and remind him that, you know, they, they have a life too that happens before and after they walk through those school doors. Right. And I think with COVID, COVID being more at home learning, do Mm -hmm. you think, that this will affect people with ADHD with having to shift to either fully remote learning or partial remote learning? Or how do you think that's going to implement their future? Well, I absolutely do think so. And I look at my nephew who's doing at home learning right now, and it's so hard to pay attention to that one box when there's stuff going on around you. That's is definitely got to be challenging for parents. I think that, you know, they have to look at what their child needs and how their child can kind of get out excess energy in order to focus, because that's going to be really key. For adults, working at home during COVID has been interesting. From my standpoint, I've actually really enjoyed it because I didn't realize how exhausting being in an office place was to me, how overstimulating it was to me until I got home and was home for a while. And suddenly my shoulders didn't hunch up naturally <laughs> anymore, which is kind of amazing. But the one thing that you can't get is connection if you work at home. So you really have to build in a way to find connection to other human beings, because in truth, ADHD people grow together when we meet other people who see us really see us. That's another reason that I made the Slack group because I have never had a more amazing experience than when I meet new ADHD people. It's just unbelievable how quickly, you know, we connect and it's a wonderful feeling being seen. Oh, absolutely. And the way you said ADHD people grow together, I can only imagine what that would feel like being in school and either no one else knows they have it in the classroom or no one else talks about it and you kind of feel alone or even in a household where you're the only one. Uh, I can only imagine that, but now amplified everyone at home with all the fun stuff. I say fun. I don't know what people's houses look like, but you know, cats and dogs and, you know, I can only imagine or the nice weather and wanting to be outside. That must be a very challenging shift from kid to adult and trying to still stay not focused, but like still focused on your work and trying to get into it. Cause I know that I'm personally, I mean, I'm loving being at home, but I'm also missing connection. (laughs) But if I have a schedule, I'm not distracted by something. So I can't even begin 
begin to imagine what that would feel like when you're at home, yeah. you're in your comfortable space, but you still have yeah. to get the job done and you yeah, still have to absolutely. grow. But you have control over your environment. And that is so key. You can say ADHD. Well, some people say ADHD is actually an abundance of attention. And that's true because we can't filter out the extra stimuli. So I can't not see the person walking by my classroom window. I can't not see the cars driving outside. Part of me, some part of me is paying attention to that. And if I'm able to be in an environment where I control those stimulations, then I'm going to be much more successful. And I think really, again, success for ADHD people is understanding themselves so that they can make those changes in their lifestyle. Right. When we spoke earlier, you had talked about the executive functioning age is yeah. often much lower than the actual age. What do you mean by that? Yeah, it's a really interesting thing. So um, executive functioning is there's actually not one single um, definition for it, but it involves your planning skills, prioritizing skills, time management skills, organizational skills. And those are all addressed in the prefrontal cortex of the brain, which because it's a neurodevelopmental issue, develops slower than the rest of the brain. So your executive functioning age is going to be less than your physical age for a number of years. It's about a maturity thing sometimes, but not always because a lot of people say ADHD children seem very wise and that's true. So it's not, you know, your overall maturity. It's just where you have executive functioning gaps, which is why you really have to put more effort into planning things, into organizing stuff like that so that you make up for that gap in your executive functioning. It depends on the age, but I think it's about eight years. And really where the places that you see it make the most impact are of course, big life decisions. So going to college, driving, I know personally, I would have benefited immensely had I not been driving right when I was 16. I don't think I was prepared to pay attention to a single thing. No, my hand was on, you know, the radio constantly. I was looking all around and I wasn't on medication. So, you know, I got into too many accidents when I started to drive. And really that was directly a result of the ADHD. I'm sure that would then set off some anxiety or, you know, um, yeah, some self-doubt. And I've never really thought about it that way. When you think about the standard and I say standard, I actually, obviously my life has been a little bit different than the regular person, but you know, you learn to drive at this age and you learn to do this at this age. And this is your, you're supposed to, you know, go to university at this age. I can imagine that yeah. you need much more, like structure, but less structure in having to do something at a specific time. And I, I wish that was more talked about, even just anxiety alone, you know, you shouldn't yeah. have to put too much on your plate that you're not capable of handling, even if other people your age are capable of handling. Again, it's an individual, you know, point of Absolutely. view. And as you grow, it, you should be doing what you feel comfortable with, not forced to do what others are comfortable with you doing. That is true, but that requires you to have self-awareness to know what you need in the first place. Self-awareness does not come naturally to nope. people. That is something that you cultivate. You're talking about self-doubt. And one of the defining characteristics of ADHD is constant internal monologue that tends towards the negativity. It tends towards rumination, spiraling into negative thoughts for the reasons that I talked about before. And if, if you don't learn how to control that, or you take medicine to control that, that can send you to some really dark places that will make you think that you're crazy. Intrusive thoughts are a symptom of ADHD. That means like you can be walking down the street and 
have like a crazy thought of maybe killing that dog over there, which is a horrible thought, but it comes from nowhere. It is just a random thought in your head. Right. But if you have ADHD, you might focus on it and make, you might feel like such a bad person and so weird and so uncomfortable. And then you're just going to hold that inside and it's going to make you feel horrible and you get scared to talk to anyone. So you don't talk to anyone until you're willing to really get into yourself. You can't make progress. It's such a spiral. And unless you have someone else guiding you in that spiral, it it almost feels like, how do you get out of that when you're younger? Which is why I think it's so important that we start this dialogue, whether we have it, we know someone who has it or, or we don't, we still have that dialogue to be open and to be able to, you know, when we sense it to help out or see how we can help. And I wish, I mean, I love what you're doing with Flex Your ADHD. That's amazing. But I wish it was already something that was so heavy talked about but when we look at our school system mm-hmm. we're not they're not trained in most no. of these things right and no, no. the school curriculum to this day definitely needs some shifting and I'm really hoping <laughs> yeah I'm really hoping with you know a lot of remote learning and time like I know with my son I've added more stuff we do jazz study we do meditation you know we talk about mindfulness and we really hone in on all these life skills that are not part of a regular curriculum and I grade him on it personally um he might not love that I've added this to the list, but I do because, <laughs> you know, it's not just about, you know, getting a good grade in math or understanding, I don't know, fractions or knowing the square root of whatever. There's just so much more that happens beyond, you know, the curriculum in school. And I think yeah. people's skills is what yeah. is what drives us and what we need, but self-compassion and compassion for others. We talk mm-hmm. about being compassionate for others, but I don't think we really speak about being self-compassionate. And it goes back to, you can't pour from an empty phase right we need to be able to be there for ourselves so we can also show up for others and I remember my son he's so supportive of like anything I do and I remember asking him like what makes you do this and he goes well you show up for me so I show up for you and I just think even little things like that can really help us show up for anyone who has any kind of you know even just a moment where they need someone to support them or tell them like that everything's going to be fine and help guide them through a bad thought or anxiety I mean I personally have anxiety with driving so I feel you there (laughs) I walk everywhere to this day yeah. and everyone's like you would just be so much better if you just would drive your car yeah but that would <laughs> mental health wise it's not for me and I've I've had to accept that there's been so many yeah. years where people are like just do this just do this and it doesn't work out for me so I don't yeah and yeah. I think it's about I mean, listening to yourself one thing that I thought of while you were talking because you know my ADHD brain goes in a million <laughs> directions and if I don't write it down then I'll probably forget it which ADHD people are known for interrupting and it's interesting to think about it, but that is a response that we've learned because we are so fearful. We're going to forget this brilliant thought that we had that we have to share it right now. And that's very frustrating. But the thing that I wrote down was emotional intelligence. And I think it's nice that we're finally starting to see more talk around emotional intelligence, because what that really is, is the ability to recognize what emotion you're feeling and give it a name. So often we've got just happy, sad, you know, there's doctor things that are in the office. They're like, how do you feel on a scale of one to five? (laughs) Yeah, that's not adequate. I mean, there's so many nuances to our feelings and we should be able to describe what we're feeling so much better than we do currently. And I think kids especially need to learn to talk about their feelings to be able to identify 
their feelings or else they're going to bottle them up and explode. Well, and we can feel a multitude of emotions at the exact same time. And they're valid. I struggled this past December. A loved one passed away um, with cancer and, but it was like, such a large growth period for my business. And I remember just feeling so devastated during the best time of my life and feeling like this is the best time of my life through such like a devastating period of my life. And that was, they were just, those thoughts were bashing each other. And I remember sitting down with myself and thinking, it's okay, you're happy and sad. There is no right or wrong. It's you're not doing anything wrong. Don't, and I would guilt myself. And it's about understanding that our bodies and our minds can house a multitude of emotions and they're all equally valid they don't define us you know our 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 minds and our bodies are not homes to these emotions I always Mm -hmm. say that we are the emotions that we keep so if we filter through them and listen to them and hear what they have to say and sometimes what what might come up as anger is actually just sadness you know when we we filter through that we're able to digest our emotions and grow from them and I think it's really Mm -hmm. important to understand that there is no smiley face thumb up thumb down sad face you know end of the day what I am. I cannot handle those. Are you an eight? Are you an 8.5 out of 10? Um, Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Well, and you know, self-compassion really, that is the key growing self-compassion for yourself, being able to forgive yourself, be kind to yourself, just when you're not having a bad day, not making yourself feel even worse, that is really also another key piece of growing and really having a better life. Absolutely. On that note, we do have to wrap this one up. We are going to do another episode so we can continue this conversation into our next episode. So I just wanted to thank you so much for joining me today. And I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you so much. Victoria. Thank you. We deeply appreciate you tuning in to the Empathy Everywhere podcast. If you'd like to connect further, you can find us at Empathy Everywhere or East 29th on social media or you can check us out on www.east29th.com. 